Gracious Almighty God, you are the one who is high and lifted up. You are the one who is holy. As the angels cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Lord, we say this, your way is holy, Lord. Who is great like our God? And Lord, the answer is no one. Lord, there is none like you, as Danny was praying before. There is, there is no one who is like you. You are so different from us in so many ways. Oh Lord, you are so transcended and high and lifted up. And yet, oh Lord, even though you are so holy, you have sent your Son, Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. One who is made, li- made like us. One who is made like his brothers in every respect. Except this, yet he was without sin. As we look at him this morning, as we see the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see that he isn't dead, but he is alive, he is risen, and he is exalted on high. Indeed, gracious God, may we learn of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we marvel, may we wonder at the exaltation and the lifting up of our glorious Saviour. Please give us hearts and minds ready and willing to understand, to listen and to obey your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 12 and I'll be reading the parable of the tenants. Mark chapter 12. Parable of the Vineyard and the Tenants. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. And he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then then they looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now we've been going through the parables that Christ has been telling his disciples and the crowds around him. And, and we come to this, this parable this morning, the parable of the tenants and the vineyard. And just before this, in Mark's gospel, 
Jesus had entered Jerusalem and he'd seen that the temple was a den of robbers, as he'd called it. He'd seen a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit when it should have been. And all of these things showed that Israel in and of itself was spiritually dead. They might have had all the outward ordinances, all the outward kind of signs that they were religious, and yet inwardly they were dead. A fig tree that didn't bear fruit. A temple that was more a den of robbers than a house of prayer. They had the temple, but it was filled with sin. And yet Jesus told this parable to show them that there was no grace in their hearts. There was no inward life within them to, as a warning to the Jews. If you look there in verse 12, it says that they knew that this parable was told against them. The Jewish leaders knew that this parable was told against them. And yet it also holds warning and also encouragement for us today. And as we look through it, I want you to think of this. The purpose of this parable is that Christ inherits a kingdom that is made not just of Jews, but of Jews and Gentiles. Christ inherits a kingdom, kingdom that is made both of Jews and Gentiles. Have a look with me at verses 1 to 5. And verse 1 says, A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on, on a journey. And here in this parable, God is the man, the owner of the vineyard. And he plants this vineyard. He is the one who establishes it. He is the one who plants it. And the thing is, in the Old Testament, as, as we saw from the Old Testament reading, that this vineyard is God's people. This vineyard is God's people. In Isaiah chapter 5, we saw it, and he, 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 he planted this vineyard. He planted this, this vineyard, and it says these words, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And the thing is, God's people in the Old Testament, God had chosen them and taken them out from the nations of the earth. And he'd given them so many things. He'd given them his word. He'd given them promises. He'd given them chances again and again. And he'd given them many blessings and prosperity. And yet, when the time came for him to collect fruit from the nation... When the season came, when the master came, he sent servants. Now this parable is not specifically about the lack of fruit, though it is certainly true. This parable has to do with how the tenants treated his servants and about the son whom, whom the owner sends. And the thing is, the tenants in this story, the ones who are looking after the people of Israel, are the leaders of Israel. They're the Jewish leaders, and they were entrusted with the people of God. They were entrusted to feed the people, to teach them God's word, to care for them. And yet as this owner, as God sent his servants to them again and again and again, 
we notice that they didn't treat those servants so well. Have a look with me at verse 3. But they seized him. This is the first servant. They seized the servant, beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 4. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. And the thing is, Throughout all the Old Testament, God sent his servants, the prophets, again and again and again. The thing is, the Jewish leaders in Israel had one task, and that was to obey God and to bear fruit, and yet they didn't. They didn't. Jesus said this, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? The people, especially the leaders, again and again, when God sent to them his prophets, he sent them his prophets again and again, and they beated them. They beat them, sorry. They mistreated them. They killed them. In Jeremiah 25, it says this, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. And the thing is, God sends prophets, God gives to his people teachers who will preach his word and teach his word. When Jesus sent out his 12 disciples, if you remember in the Gospels, and then he sent out the 70 again, he sent them out and and, and the the places that, that welcomed them. They were to stay in those places, but if the places did not welcome them, they were to shake the dust off their feet and, and go to another place. They were to stay with those who would receive them and they were to leave those and to shake off the dust as a sign of judgment on those who did not receive them. And the thing is, whoever receives those sent by God receives the one who sent them. And so this is why in this church... We must receive, we must honour and we must welcome and love our elders and in so doing we honour and love and, and welcome Christ. And God gives us Sunday by Sunday his word preached by Joel and by Ray and, and by Danny as well. And so far it done, as it is done faithfully, his word is to be received and is to be honoured and is to be obeyed. And this is what the tenants precisely did not do. This is what the tenants did not do. Have a look with me at verses 6 to 8. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. We see here that God had one more to send. The owner thought that maybe the tenants would respect his son. The thing is, unlike this owner, God knew they wouldn't respect his son. God knew that they they wouldn't receive his son or, or give his son the inheritance. But the thing is, God sent his one and only son, knowing, knowing that they would kill him, that they would reject him, They would beat him, that they would crucify him. And the thing is, that was the plan all along. 
That was the plan all along. In the fullness of time, it would happen that God would send his son, his only son, who would come and live and die. And yet, I want you to notice some things about this son. Whenever we look at God's word, we want to see what it brings out about the Lord Jesus Christ. What riches we can draw out about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice the first thing there. He's the son whom the father loves. He's the son whom the father loves. And it can be put this way. He's the beloved of the son. If you remember when Jesus was getting baptized in the river Jordan, what did God say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was, was, was on the mountain, he was transfigured and he went dazzling white before the disciples. What did God say? He said, He says, my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him. In John 3, 35, it says that the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And we see in in, in eternity past, and it will be to eternity future, the father and the son share this inseparable love. And when you realize this inseparable love, it will actually make you appreciate how hard in one sense it was for God to send his son. How hard it was that he would do it out of love to send his son and send him under death. Not that anything in a sense is hard for God. And yet God loved his son so much. Even though God loved and loves his son with the perfect, infinite intimate, steadfast, everlasting love, God sent his one and only son, the son whom he loves for us, for us. And so we see here that the the owner sent the only son, the last one, the one whom he loves. But I want you to notice as well that this son is also the heir. And the Jewish leaders knew this. They knew that he was the heir, and yet they didn't want him to be. They didn't want him to be. Remember the verse I just I quoted? The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The thing is, Jesus inherits everything. Jesus has inherited everything. There is not a single molecule in this universe which Jesus did not inherit. Jesus inherits because of his sin-bearing, substitutionary death. But not just because of this, not just because of this, but because of the resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God. But God has exalted him, exalted him as Danny was even praying this morning, and we didn't even chat about this, but has given him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess him as Lord. The thing is, Jesus is heir over everything. And in a particular way, the church, the kingdom, the vineyard of God. Jesus is sovereign over all. And how silly, if you think about it, how silly and, and foolish and ridiculous that these, these tenants would even think to try and take away the inheritance from Christ. I want you to think about how, how foolish that would be. Maybe in this parable, 
It might seem more possible. And yet if you think about it, the, the Jewish leaders tried to take away the inheritance from Christ. They didn't want him to be the Christ, to be the one whom God would give everything to. The thing is, it was always God's purpose to give the church and everything to his son. It's not the elders who own the church. It's not us who own the church, even though we're congregational rule. It's not the archbishops. It's not the pope who owns or is head of the church. The pope calls himself the head of the church, the visible head, the vicar of Christ. And yet this is plain blasphemy. It's wrong. The only head of the church is Christ. The only one who inherits is the Lord Jesus. No one can take away the church from him. No one. The church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The vineyard belongs to the Son. And I want you to notice one more thing about Jesus. And, and, and they all fit together. But I want you to notice one more thing. If you have a look in verse 10, Jesus adds this verse in here from Psalm 118. He adds this verse in here and it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The thing is, Jesus isn't just the beloved son. He isn't just the one who is the heir of all things. But the reason he is the heir of all things, as I was saying before, is because he is exalted. He is exalted. He has become the capstone or the cornerstone. I want you to imagine you're building a house. I want you to imagine you're building a house. And as you would find different stones and different bricks to build up that house, when you're building a house... You need a foundation. But not only do you need a foundation, but you need it in, particularly in Old Testament times, you needed a capstone or a cornerstone. And it would have to be a stone that would, that would fit in with everything else and it would have to have straight lines. It would have to, have to be the right stone. It would have to be chosen specifically for its purpose. For if you got that stone wrong, you wouldn't have a building. If you got that stone wrong, you wouldn't have a building. And so I want you to imagine you're building a house and you needed to pick the right stone. Everything hung on this stone. Everything hung on the capstone or the cornerstone. Would you pick the right stone? Would you pick the right stone? And so I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you this morning, have you picked the right stone? Spiritually speaking, have you picked the right stone? In order to be in God's church, Jesus must be the one that you choose. The one you lay hold of by faith. Indeed, even though he was despised and rejected by men, God's chosen him. It says there the stone that the builders rejected. And that's what the leaders of the Jews did. When he came, they didn't choose him. They didn't want him to be the foundation or the cornerstone. They rejected him. They despised him. They killed him. Indeed, he is said in 1 Peter 2, it says that he is a cornerstone chosen and precious. He is a cornerstone chosen and precious. God has exalted Christ. 
He's lifted him up. The stone that the builders rejected and, and put down, God has lifted up. He's exalted him and made him head over the church, the very foundation and the cornerstone of the church, the only way to God. And if you are here this morning and you have never picked to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you as these builders have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have rejected God's word again and again and again, just like these these, these tenants who rejected the, 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 the prophets and the servants that God sent to them out of his kindness and his mercy. If you have continued to reject God's word, if you've continued to reject Christ. Friends, if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. If you've never seen him as the exalted cornerstone. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. If God has chosen him, who are we to say otherwise? If God has exalted him, who are we to say otherwise? It's a heart of foolishness. If you can see it in this parable, if if it is foolish of the tenants in this parable to reject the son, how much more is it foolish for us to reject God's son? It says that even though... He's a stone, a rock of help to those who trust in him. We will never be put to shame. It says that to others he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To some people, Jesus will be a rock that is, that is which they build their life on. And yet to others who reject him, he's, he seems foolish and, and they stumble over him. Like a rock that they trip on and they just they can't understand him. and They just, they just don't want to accept him. In Matthew's Gospel, where it's talking about this, this same parable, it says that, that, that if you don't believe in Christ, you will trip and fall over the stone, and if it falls in you, it will crush you. And so I want to give you this promise of God where it says in 1 Peter 2, when it's talking about Christ as the cornerstone, it says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you trust in Christ, if you trust in Christ, you will not be put to shame. God will save you. God will save you. He will follow through. For those of us here who do believe, who do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though once we were rejecting Christ, God has opened our hearts and we have trusted in and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how do you view Christ from this passage? How do you view Christ in his exaltation? For if you ever look at the words there in the end of verse 11, it says the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. After Jesus ascended into heaven in Luke's gospel, it says this. In Luke 24, it says, And they worshipped him, which should be telling if they were Jews because they shouldn't be worshipping anyone but God. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. In our passage today, it says marvelous. It says that word marvelous. Does this, the exaltation of Christ, does this make you marvel? Does it make you wonder? Does it inspire awe in your heart? 
Do you think about Christ being not, not, not just dead, but raised again and exalted on high? If you think about it, he's right now reigning on high at God's right hand. Does that make you marvel and make you wonder? Does that make you stop and just say, wow? The thing is, the Jews in Jesus' day, and many others now, they hold no marvel in their hearts for this. It's just cold and dead. You can, you can believe in one sense, you can believe it's true that these, the things taught here in this Bible, but if you, if you have no love for God, if you don't even marvel at these truths, if you've never marveled at these truths, you have to wonder, have you ever come to know these truths really? And yet there will be often times, so many times, I know this in my own heart, where there will be times when you just lose the sweetness of the truths of God's Word. You lo- they, they, they lose their marvel. They're not as marvelous or wonderful in a sense. Friends, if this is the case, I want you to come before God and, and, and repent and bring it to God and ask Him to increase your marvel at these things. These are ridiculous things. These are crazy things. And if you had a look at some of the hymns throughout history, and and there were many things that they wrote, but for example, they wrote about the cross, when I survey the the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, the truths of the gospel should make us wonder. Should make us wonder. And we should include in it the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here that the son that the father has is a son whom, whom he loves dearly and a son whom we should love. It's a son who inherits all things and that should also give us confidence. It's a son whom that God has raised up and exalted, whom we should not reject and whom we should marvel at and, and trust in. You see, the third bit where, where God has not only planted this vineyard, He's not only given a, a reckoning and an accounting where, where they rejected his servants and prophets. He's not only sent his son, but now he gives it to others. He gives it to others. I want, to, I want you to imagine that a wealthy businessman comes to you and he says, he says this, I have a deal for you. I have a deal for you. I have the most expensive and precious jewel in all the world, and I need someone to look after it. In fact, I want you to look after it. I want to entrust it to you. And out of all the jewels on the earth, I've chosen this as my treasured possession. This is my treasured possession. It is important and is precious to me, more than you can ever know. Now, if you're faithful and you care for it, you will get to have it. You will get to, to, to have it in your care. When I die, my son inherits it. My son inherits it. It's, and I want you to remember, it's not yours, it's mine. I'm giving you charge over it, but it's not yours, it's, it's mine. However, if, if you don't faithfully keep it, then I'll give it to others. So you accept the jewel, you accept the jewel in his terms, and you get to keep this wonderful and expensive jewel. And the thing is, you have, you have one task. Your one task is to care for it and keep it safe. That's the deal. That's the deal. Those are the terms. And the thing is, this jewel, this jewel was God's people. It was his kingdom. 
His church. And God left that jewel, as we were talking about before, in the care of his people, the Jews at the time, the Jewish leaders. And yet we see here that this jewel, because Israel were not faithful to care for it and keep it, it's been given to others. In Matthew's parallel account of this, Jesus said, to a people producing its fruits. To a people producing its fruits. And that's the people that God gives it to. In Isaiah, it says that even though God had planted that vineyard, in Isaiah chapter 5, even though God had planted that vineyard, he'd come to look for grapes, and all he had given were wild grapes. It wasn't fruitful. All he had given were, were sour, bitter grapes. And yet instead, God is going to give it to a people producing its fruits. And I said this before in, in the kids' talk. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 9. And it says this. You're welcome to turn there if you like. Romans 9 verses 30 to 33. What then shall we say? What then shall we say? And back in verse 24, he said, Even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Non-Jews. Non-Jews. You can't get any other category. Jews and non-Jews. A and non-A. It's, it's everyone. But down in verse 30 to 33, it says this, What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have, have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith. And that, that righteousness there that, that Paul is talking about is from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 31, But Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it. They had not attained it. They were not fruitful. Verse 32, Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They have, notice these words, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, the Jews had stumbled over Christ, and yet God is now giving his kingdom not just to, to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. Yes, Jews are still in the kingdom, but, but at large you see that the church is made... There, there are so many Gentiles in the church. In this church, there are so many Gentiles, non-Jews from, from all nations. The thing is, in the old covenant, they were spiritually unable to produce the fruit that God required. There were some who did. There were some who were in Christ. And yet the old covenant could never, by the law, could never produce that fruit in them. And yet now God, it says in the new covenant, has written his law in our hearts. And we now have the spirit who helps us to produce that fruit. Remember the parable, that, uh, the, the, the picture, I should say, the allegory that Jesus told of the vine and the branches, where Jesus is the vine and, and, and we are the branches and we, we all come of Christ. It says that if we remain in Christ, we produce fruit. We produce fruit. I've asked you before, do you, do you love Christ? Do you see him as precious? Do you marvel at his exaltation? And I ask you here, do you see the privilege of that, that you get to be part of his kingdom? You don't have to be Jewish to be part of his vineyard. You don't have to be an Israelite to be part of his people. 
thing is, we see here that the Jews, even though they rejected Christ again and again and again, God still sent his son. God still sent his son. And there were Jews who believed in him. And yet the marvelous thing for us is that God sent his one and only son, the heir of all things, particularly even his church. That indeed we have been called, if you remember these words, co-heirs with Christ. We have inherited, we have indeed been given this, this vineyard, and it should make us marvel. It should make us marvel. And so as we go out today and as we go out this week, I want you to marvel at the fact that not only is, is Christ exalted on high, but you've been given the very kingdom of God. You have been given the very privilege to be one of his children, be part of his people. How about I pray as we come before God? Almighty God, you have, you have been so kind and gracious. You were even kind and, and gracious to your people, though they rejected you again and again. Oh God, you sent the prophets again and again and again to warn your people. Indeed, Lord, we know you have no pleasure in the death of your people. You have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn to you and live. And Lord, though you knew it, though you knew they would kill your son, though indeed, Lord, you had planned it from the very beginning in the fullness of time, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, and they killed him and they rejected him. But Lord, this very stone that the builders rejected, though this very Christ whom they killed, Lord, you have raised up. And Lord, he's ascended and you have exalted him on high. You have put all things in subjection under him and you've put all things under his feet. You've put him as head of the church, which indeed is his body. Lord, we marvel. And Lord, if we do not cause us to marvel, please cause us to wonder at the glorious Lord Jesus, beloved, the heir of all things and exalted on high, who indeed has given this kingdom to us, to us, co-heirs with him. Lord, you have made us co-heirs with him. May we marvel, may we be thankful for what you have given us. And indeed, may we do all things for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who honor you. May we be a people who produce the fruits you require. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, apart from him, we can do nothing. But we must abide in him, and so we produce that fruit. May we all abide in him, I pray. May we seek to, to, to live deeply within him. May we seek to trust him and depend on him in all things. May we seek to to come before him always in his word and prayer. May we seek to love him and obey all that he has commanded and so produce the fruit that he is pleased by. Oh, gracious God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that the Lord Jesus Christ gave this parable so that we might be encouraged, that we might be encouraged though, though the Jews rejected Christ. You and your kindness have caused us. You have opened our hearts and minds that we would accept your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we do all things for your glory, I pray. We pray these things in the name of your blessed Son, our, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.